Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. Well, tonight we're going to look at Sutra 3.20, 3.20, and in it we learn the valuable lesson of how to put down the tool of the mind uh, in order to sort of cultivate an inner nectar throughout our day. Um, and we find that there are many points in which we can apply this sutra, as we'll see, um, at almost every single aspect of your day, there is an opportunity to apply the sutra. So I uh, hope that it turns into one of those um, sort of like field trip homework kind of experiences where you really start to play with it and feel it in your life. So that's definitely my goal for tonight. So before we uh, get into the sutra itself, let's ground into our seats and with our breath, I'll pan over here to Abaya to lead us in a little movement. So let's start by making some really gentle circles with the shoulders. And less is really more here. Maybe the movement is imperceptible to the outside eye, but you can feel some little wiggling happening between the arm and the shoulder socket. And the next time the shoulders slide down the back, bring your awareness to the sensation on the back of the body. And then relax completely. So there's no longer any effort. And as you breathe, imagine the rib cage filling and expanding to rise up into the shoulder blades in that spot where your awareness just was. And this should be really gentle. And just take a few soothing breaths, allowing the inhale to lift and expand the rib cage, filling the space of the shoulder girdle. And then soften the hands alongside you. They might dangle off your chair or your cushion. And very slowly, imagine you're standing in like a doorway and the backs of your hands are pushing into the doorway and slowly allow the arms to float up, but let it be really effortless. So there's no strain in the shoulders. You can pause at T or a little bit lower. And again, let the shoulders soften, bend the elbows a little bit so there's that sense of ease. 
we did this, um, I think the last time we were all together for study buddy, we'll start to glide on some gusts of wind like a bird. And so very gently start to bank to one side and feel the top side lengthen really evenly. And then push into the opposite shin to very slowly shift over to the other side from the bottom up. And then tilt from side to side, starting the movement at the shin and letting the whole rest of the body follow with ease. One more time to the other side. And then from center, reach the arms out again. Let the heart start to open and shine upward. Turn the palms face up. If that feels okay, you can gaze up. And then ever so gently come back to neutral and allow the arms to float down back to your lap or wherever they're comfortable. And we'll just close with a couple more of those buoyant rib cage breaths. Feeling the spaciousness of the breath connect up into the shoulders towards the arms. Thanks, Baya. All right, so we'll move right into the sutra. This Sanskrit takes a little bit of um, focus to pronounce. We'll take it slowly. Trishu, Trishu, Chaturtam, Chaturtam, Taila, Vada, Secham. Taila, Vada, Secham. Taila Vada Setchum. Taila Vada Setchum. Shishu Chaturtam Taila Vada Setchum. You can try it one more time on your own. The fourth state, Turiya, must be expanded like oil so that it pervades the other three, waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. The fourth state must be expanded so that it encompasses or pervades the other three. All right, so whenever you see numbers in the beginning of a sutra, you know there's going to be some diagrams because there's at least four states we're going to be talking about tonight, and there's relationships. Three of them go in a group. The other one, somehow different. But of course, as we'll see, they're both different and the same. They're both separate and, you know, how it goes. So let's just jump into talking about these four states um, right away, because this is where the sutra jumps in too. 
cool. So um, depending on if you guys have the screen real estate for this, um, I was going to ask for a reader. Kat, are you in a position to read? I know you might be visiting. I don't know if you're visiting your family already. Cool. But I can read. Okay, here comes the quote. Oh, sorry, didn't. There we go. Got it. Thanks. Three states and Turia. What are the three states? The three states are the waking state, Jagrat, the dreaming state, Svatna, and the state of deep sleep, Sajupti. The fourth state, Turiya, which is filled with pure knowledge, pure light, and the ecstasy and joy of Turiya, must be sprinkled and expanded just as oil expands when it is poured on a smooth surface like a piece of cloth. For just as oil spreads on this surface adhering to it. So in this way, a yogi must expand the state of Turiya into the other three states. Excellent. Thank you. I'm just giving everybody a second to process that at your own pace. So take a moment and visualize um, This, this example that we're given of oil spreading onto a surface. And just because it's always usually about the heart, go ahead and visualize it in the heart. So just breathe naturally and breathe evenly. And just imagine this oil spreading in your heart. What would you describe that experience? You know, does it spread just like an inch? Or does it spread continually? How does that feel to, to anyone? We'll call, okay, Bob and Dharma. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. I just definitely feel uh, a warmth and joy as if oil was dropped into the center of my heart chakra. And then it starts spreading out uh, both horizontally and also up a little bit and maybe down a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, I kind of lose track of it the farther out it goes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, to the edge of my body. Nice. Yeah, that's a really nice distinction. One, the distinction of warmth is is interesting. That we, I feel that too for sure. It feels like uh, inherent in the visualization, though it wasn't really said. But I, I share that with you, and. 
and then the you know our shirt might be too like sort of like a flat surface but somehow our inner reality is not so flat and it is the way that it spreads does feel multi-dimensional you know it seems to fill almost fill a volume of space instead of just like you know on a flat surface per se so that was i felt that way too dharma did you want to add to that or you have a different direction to go um, i was imagining like just the right amount of oil like not so much oil that it's like dripping everywhere and sure. not too little that there wasn't enough to spread around it was like it was easeful and it could cover everything in just the way it needed to be so that it had like a shimmering type of quality to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that has to do with the, the 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 feeling of that oil not being separate from you you know the the spilling over the the dripping from that's like how we would experience this oil if it was like external to us it was being poured on from an, but it's really within and and it's sort of it's, it feels like it's tied up in our in our very state of being so i think that was a really interesting note that it feels like it's really it's not excessive. It feels like it's really happening within the container that we are. Uh, so I definitely felt that that same feeling like I didn't have to worry about it. I mean, normally when you picture oil spilling, it's like nothing but a concern. Like it's just immediately like, okay, how do we fix this? So this is a, I guarantee they didn't like spilling oil on stuff a thousand years ago either so it's an interesting analogy hmm. yogita go for it and then dialin well i was wondering why they use oil instead of water because oil doesn't mix and if you want to mix with the other state because you um you, 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 you separate but oil doesn't mix <laughs> it's true if it was it would have not really worked if they said, imagine the oil dripping into water, but on cloth, it mixes all too well, right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good, good differentiation to make. Go for it, Dallin. I more imagined, um, I took it a little different way, but I just more imagined like, like a state of pure consciousness seeping like having that experience and then having it seep into when you're like sleeping and you're dreaming or even when you're in deep sleep and your consciousness is like seeping into that oh yeah so like seeping seems to be like a like when i think of oil it's like the seep and like when i think of consciousness just like seeping into even when you're asleep it's like or any of your activities during the day or anything is just like starts to like go into all of it that's so helpful 
Yeah, I mean, even as I'm breathing here, it feels like the breath has that same seeping quality. When you're breathing like naturally, it feels like it really just seeps in. And the awareness seeps in. That's really, um, it just feels like that adjective can actually help bring the teaching sort of to life. Because how often do we get sucked into the mentality of, you know, feeling like we have to do a lot to get centered and, and, and it's always urgent, you know, but this idea of like seeping, uh, letting your practice seep in, that is a, seems like a really skillful path. So is there any other comments before we continue? Well, this analogy will be with us the whole time. Cool. Kat says the word pervasive, which in some languages is a synonym for runny, comes to mind. Pervasive. Yes, I believe, I feel like that word pervasive is, although I can't recall if it's used exactly in the sutra, I feel like that is the kind of word that comes up over and over in the sutra permeates, pervades, very helpful. Well, we're off to a great start. I don't know if every, I hope every slide can be that inspirational. Um, let's try. So we're gonna sort of, uh, this idea of there being three states, I wanted to just take a moment for that because I saw it as an opportunity um, for a little bit of that, like anatomy of philosophy that sort of, we all sort of cringe at in a little way, you know, every time, you know, there's like, when you're reading like, uh, the 21 Taurus book and they talk about like the eight wins, the six, this, the four, that the two, this, the fourth, fifteen, and you're like, it's immediately you're like, Oh, can't do it. And, uh, so I feel like every time that comes up, it's good. If you do a little bit, when it comes up, then over the years, you gradually get super comfortable with it. And I think the tattvas, for example, are that for us. They're, they come up, they're sort of exhausting to look at, but then you start to piece them apart. And before you know it, after a while, you're like, okay, I sort of know where things are at. Um, so I'm going to incorporate the tattvas into this three states conversation, but I also wanted to pull in a text I don't commonly use, which is the yoga sutras. We use it in our level one yoga training, it just doesn't come up a ton. Um, but he, uh, Patanjali from the yoga sutras was actually 2000 years old. Um, he references the five states of mind and they correlate really well with this. And I think he says them really simply. So I brought those in too. So let's take a look here. So Patanjali in his yoga sutras describes the um, states of mind. Uh, Usha, is this clear enough for you to read? I think you're muted, Usha. Does that help? Okay, now I'm ready. <laughs> the states of mind are correct understanding, misunderstanding, imagining, memory, and dreamless sleep. Correct 
incorrect understanding. Correct understanding can result from direct perception. It can be inferred or it can be proven by consulting texts or experts. Misunderstanding comes from illusion. Thanks, Usha. We gained your voice and we lost your video, just so you know. But we did hear oh. everything. <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, it's, it's not an exact, hey, it's not an exact, you know, parallel, of course, but it just gives us some other ways of interpreting this, you know, that there, that I think, A, uh, these three states represent states of mind. And we'll see, we'll see a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, and that uh, the, the mind has different states, different capacities, different ways to use, uh, and they usually correlate to subtler or grosser methods, um, just like any tool would. Um, and that there are these ways of using our mind that basically involve like directly perceiving something or uh, inferring from what you're seeing or, or thinking about or uh, consulting, you know, a text or an excerpt. To me, that's just like day-to-day -day life. Um, but of course, you can also um, misperceive things in the same way. Um, and so we're taught in the, in the yoga sutras that um, these states of mind can uh, be pleasing or cause torment depending on, on where they lead you. And we don't have to go down that road yet. Um, and then in the tattvas, really, we just look way down here at the bottom for like the elements uh, is where we generally correlate with this uh, waking state. It's generally correlated with just like the literalness of our day-to-day -day life, like the actual elements of earth, air, water, ether, things like that, like the literal stuff. And that's generally down at the bottom quadrant of the tattvas, meaning it is like sort of the final production of Shiva. And the most cloaked is what we're told about the waking state. It has the thickest cloak of Shiva, meaning it's sort of the hardest to find Shiva in, which is hilarious because that's really where we're looking a lot <laughs> for Shiva. So, so from there, this waking state proves to be sort of the densest uh, state space, but it's really where we're at for most of our, of our life, waking, our waking state. And that brings us into what you might correlate as the swapna, the, the, uh, the, the next state, um, the dreaming state. Um, Uma, would you just read that second portion right there in the middle of this, at the bottom half of the screen? Imagination and memory. Imagination creates information which when pursued has no basis in fact. Memory is the unaltered recollection of an experience or object. Thanks. So imagination, sort of thinking about something, memory, recalling something somehow uh, unaltered, which, you know, is probably pretty rare. They probably cross over a ton. Um, but nonetheless, this dreaming state, right? It's a capacity that's with us, not just at night when we're dreaming, actually, because you can imagine something right now, you can remember something right now. So the dreaming state is actually uh, just the thinking state. Um, and this tends to correlate with the tattvas, uh, meaning that it, it occupies um, the, the groups of tattvas that are above the elements 
And these are like the powers of knowing and the powers of acting. So things like locomotion and these active things or the power of hearing, the power of tasting, the power of smelling. So they're sort of like powers and we start to get a little bit more subtle as we're in that realm. And so waking, dreaming and dreamless sleep. So we're sort of working from the coarsest, the thickest, the most veiled to a little bit less veiled to finally this dreamless state, which the yoga sutras describe in one way. And we'll talk about the Shiva sutras in a moment. Um, Gita, would you read this bottom part for us? Dreamless sleep is a complete lack of awareness. It is a state founded on the absence of thought, but it differs from meditation in that it lacks the flame of consciousness. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, that's a good one, huh? I hear, I hear the wow. Don't unmute. What was wow? And the flame of consciousness. Mm -hmm. What a distinction. Mm. And it goes back to the uh, very first uh, set of uh, sentences you put up. Hmm. I can't recall yeah, exactly the distinction, but there's. You mean the very for the sutra or the. Uh-huh. The description of the sutra. Is this the right slide? Yeah. that pervades the other three, the week. You know, that's a nice, that's a nice sentence. Let me just throw that one back up there. Yeah, you know, this uh, standby mode of the mind is very subtle, yet we're rarely um, uh, conscious of it. In the Shiva Sutras, they describe it like, hey, this is like this subtle, powerful realm where you're like so close to experiencing something very powerful in yourself. Like you're so close to the inner self, but it happens to be your least conscious state. It's like the state where you're constantly unconscious. So it's like, oh, how perfect. Um, I sort of describe this when you're like, um, do you remember being in third grade and, and having these moments when you were like, and then you'd go like this. And you'd look around and notice, did anybody see that? Do you guys remember that? Or is that just me? There's a few other of us. Okay. Me and Dayalan and Anju. Okay. So yeah, that's that. <laughs> Does it really? <laughs> that's great. Well, you're so close in that moment. And we're going to see if you don't snap out of that moment and you just gradually come out of that moment, you actually could slip right into um, a deep state of awareness but usually you snap out of the moment and that's similar to like how you would come out of a deep sleep. Like, Whoa, where was I? Um, but it's a, it's a way that your mind's meant to function to stand by mode, similar to your phone, you know, can't be on all the time and lose all its battery, but it's on in this really low capacity, right. Where it's like sort of like retrieving in the background so that it's on but it's not like sucking up all your energy. In fact, it's usually the time when we're gaining energy, like charging our battery, so to speak. And then of course, um, well, not of course, this would sort of correspond to the, the mind. Um, 
when I was sort of researching this, um, I saw that the mind and the senses were sort of grouped here, but then the senses were also sort of in the waking state. So for better or worse, this is like a good spot to think of it. It's basically like our mind and it starts to, I, I think it sort of hints to me, like, I think our minds are pretty subtle. You know, I think we, we usually refer to it. We think of our mind as a brain or we think of our mind as our thoughts, but I'm sitting here going, mm, don't know if our mind is our thoughts per se, because that was sort of associated with the dreaming state. And this is subtler than that. And then the sutras do say that, you know, this corresponds with the mind. So I'm like, wow, maybe our mind's even subtler than we think anyway. So we've got that dreamless state there. And then the Turiya state seems to be representative of the first five tatvas. And I'll, we'll, we're going to read a quote right now that might help sort of solidify that as a possibility. But yeah, so this nectar, you know, it's these first five tatvas of when Shiva and Shakti are dancing and creation is occurring, but they haven't actually even separated like there's actually no distinction between what's manifesting and shiva and shakti's dance itself because as you can see in those top um areas the the shiva and shakti are like these two circles and they're core they're overlapping in one way they're overlapping in another way and then down here right before maya comes in they're side by side but they're still touching and so all of this represents like the pureness of awareness with no differentiation per se. And so that's the state we're attempting to reside in, in the sutra. That is the state that would be sort of recharging us. That's the nectar of our experience. You know, it's rising to those deep states. I'm going to ask you something. How do Please. you know... Uh, how do you know that you're in the dreamless state or you just forgot your dream? Sometimes I know I'm dreaming, but I wake up and I forget it. Mm. But I just want to... Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's hard to know whether you just forgot it or, or you didn't dream. I <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it might be... It might be that literal. I usually... I feel like I use these as opportunities to almost um it's like i guess it doesn't matter if you weren't conscious in it then it feels like it's all the same you know but if you are like aware like a lucid like i don't know uh, this is a little bit outside of my scope i feel like so i feel like i'm just sort of talking with you here but wouldn't you know but like a lucid dream would be you know what we would mean by like knowing you're dreaming like that is a very rare thing in my experience and then lucid in a dreamless state would be even rarer i don't even personally i feel like that would be uh even rarer than a lucid dream it would be in a yeah so i think the only thing that matters is your own awareness um, not whether you can remember it happening previously or not. But that's, you know, play with that. I'd love to hear what you have to say this week. 
So there's a relationship between the three states and Turiya, and the sutra gives us a very specific and unique metaphor to understand them. Um, Meru just showed up on the scene, did the handoff with Jagannathi, and are you ready, Meru, to jump right in and read something for us? Absolutely. Awesome. The three states, Shagra, Shapana, Susupti, along with Turiya, are like a sword and its sheath. Here, the three states are said to be found in the sheath of Turiya. And although the three states are separated from Turiya, as a sword is separated from its sheath, they are united with each other. In the same manner, the yogi must be aware that Jagra, Svana, and Suspita are found as one with Turiya. Sorry about the butchering on those. <laughs> I, lo I love it when people just go for it. That's my favorite I thing. I go for it, and sometimes it comes out good, and sometimes it doesn't. I would much prefer it that way. That's awesome. That time was one of the maybe not so good ones. <laughs> cool. So we've got this fun metaphor, and it really is helpful. Um, and we're going to use this metaphor quite a bit for the next few slides. So we see a couple of um, a couple of concepts being presented to us. Um, the three states are said to be found in the sheath of Turiya. That's cool. That's really helpful. It gives us some. Uh, it doesn't feel like oh, there's just so much we're juggling. It's really like we're juggling two things. There's the sword and the sheath, and that's all we have to really work with. It also tells us that although um, the three seats are separated from Turiya as a sword in its, from its sheath, they are united with each other, which further shows us that we don't really have to understand the difference between the waking, the dreaming, and the dreamless sleep state. We don't have to know all the differences. They're all sort of the same thing. They're all just sort of what you know whatever their duality their limitation they're they're just our small self they're all that's it's all that same stuff it's just there's that stuff and then there's this other thing and that's all so that helps me out because sometimes i'm just like which one's which and you know how do you keep it all going um but then and then here the yogi must be aware that they are Though they were giving this analogy that it's a sword and a sheath, they're not truly different from Turiya. And this is like non-dualism 101, right? So we've got, we've got variety in the world. We've got differentiation. But that is also Shiva. Shiva is also differentiation. And in fact, what we keep learning from the sutras is that it's the uncovering of Shiva from differentiation that literally is Shiva. So it sort of defeats the purpose it's, uh, to think of them as separate. It's like Shiva is, it's like a gift. A gift is unwrapping a package. You know, that's like, it's what it is. It's the unwrapping, right? So though they're separate, 
we always must, must remind ourselves that they're essentially not. And so to go back to the tatvas, um, we have a sword on the screen. It just got, it just turned, looks like a video game now. Um, so there's a sheath and a sword. And as far as I can tell, and you're welcome to interpret it with me, uh, Turia is the sheath, as we've seen, and everything else is the sword. Everything else is the sword. And I really appreciate this um, analogy for a couple of reasons. I think most of all, it, it helped me understand that these three states are how we slice through our reality. These three states are how we carve up our life. They're like the machete that we use to go through the jungle. You know, they're literally the knife we might use to eat our food. Uh, they're the words we use to explain ourselves. And of course, this is usually based on what we want and what we don't want, right? We're sort of like going towards what we want. We're fighting off what we don't want with this sword of the mind. And generally, the sword is always drawn and it's just always doing this. And very rarely do we take this sword and put it in its sheath. But when we do, that's a special moment. To me, that sort of represents meditation when you consciously set down the mind and put it within a sheath of something that is bigger than it. And you focus on finding that space that is beyond the mind and you keep resisting the urge to pull that sword out and to somehow carve out your happiness. And so this sutra goes on to actually tell us even more about this very unique metaphor and analogy about literally times that we can find or times that we can actually find, yeah, find the Turiya state based on this metaphor. Pujari, would you read this next quote for us? The sword and the sheath. The state of Turiya is found in all these three at the moment of entry and at the moment of exit. So at the time of entering into the state of wakefulness or the dreaming state or the dreamless state, and at the time of coming out from any one of these three states, the yogi finds Turiya existing. Thank you. Uh, this moment is well known in the world of superhero movies. Uh, if you were a sound effects person, you would have a button you press for both of these moments, right? Um, Meru, can I get a sound effect for pulling a sword out of a sheath, please? How would that sound to you? Yeah. Wow, that was so much better than I was going to do. Thank you. 
And since, yeah, since you are obviously a pro at this, do you have one for going back in the sheath? Sheik. Oh, wow. It's a metallic sheet. Yeah. It's different going yeah. in than coming out. Ching. So there you go. We know that these moments of transition uh, really, we know them. You couldn't even imagine someone doing that and not having the sound effect. It's so integral. So we know that this is real uh, in the metaphor. And we know that this is real in our life because, you know, when do we generally meditate, you know, at the transition points of dawn and dusk, you know, generally, if it works out, we all know that that's a very powerful time. It's sort of an opening. It's a, it's a little bit of a, it's like a, it's a like, it's like, if you're going to commit your life to meditation, grab those moments, because you're going to get a lot further, a lot quicker, you know? Um, so we see that that's what we, we already believe in that on, a, on quite a few levels. And the sutra is sort of impelling us to, hey, look at the rest of your life. Are there places where this is happening? And of course, uh, the most obvious is, you know, these transitions, um, falling asleep and waking up. You know, there are more, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But these do represent some of the, the everyday transitional points that truly do relate to different states going from one to the other and sort of figuring this thing out, doing it. Um, do, you, do any of you already actively pursue uh, your practice during these two states or during these two transitions? I see a few nods. Um, Radharani, I haven't heard from you tonight. Would you like to unmute and just tell us how you pursue the your practice in these transitional states? Yeah, mostly when falling asleep. Mm -hmm. I don't how do think you, I'm yeah. that conscious when I'm waking up. But uh, I try to I I fall I go to bed with my mala on mm -hmm. and and can I, you know, do mantra while I'm falling asleep and trying to really before i i am a really fast sleeper like i go to sleep i put my i feel like i put my uh, head on the pillow and i go so i try to keep just a few seconds where i'm like doing the mantra feeling the mala and trying to be there and then i'm off right. and i think it was anandi once that said that i want to uh, satsang we were talking and i really like this um, image and she said that she met I think it was her but I think yeah I like the image that she I think she said that she imagines that she is on the trunk of Ganesh falling asleep there <laughs> so I like that image and then I do mantra nice. just to go up that way yeah it's a fun image even to just be sitting there now So thanks for sharing that. That's super sweet and something I'll probably try tonight. Um, anyone else have any ways that they're uh, reaching for their practice yogita? Well, um, I have a, a, a tanga of Tara right above my bed. And so when I lay down, the last thing I see is her picture. And mm -hmm. when I wake up, the first thing I see, and then I try to, I think I do it more when I wake up. Hmm. 
I have a bad habit of watching the Golden Girls at night <laughs> or something, you know, the yeah. mindless thing. But I think I do it more in the morning. <laughs> that is awesome. Thanks for sharing both the practice and the comic relief. That was perfect. Cool. So waking, sleep, fall, waking, looking at the tonka, falling asleep with the mala, doing mantra. Um, perhaps some of you might do gratitude practice when you wake up. That's, you know, that's close enough. It's not like the instant you don't have to wake up and be like, ah. but like, you know, sit on the side of the bed and be there, right? It's not like this moment is like, a millisecond it's pretty long i mean i honestly don't know how long it is if you to set up a camera and watched yourself go from sleeping to what you would might call awake could be like a couple minutes for sure like it might even just be all you know might even be longer than that for some of us so it's it's like it doesn't have to be instant bob go for it uh often Let's say I'm dreaming, and all of a sudden, I'll think, oh, I'm dreaming. Like, maybe something happens in the dream that just doesn't sit right with me, and I'll, I'll be like, oh, that's okay, I'm dreaming. And then, then my mind will start thinking about that situation that I was just dreaming and how I could have done better or blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go, Oh, now I'm thinking. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, I might as well get up and make some coffee. So, um, it's and you're just like, like oh, now I'm making coffee. Fun, yeah, fun to watch yourself go through the stages. Totally. That's really, yeah, this is exactly what we're talking about here. Recognizing those stages is, is literally what the sutras is, is at is telling us could be a, a key. Uh, specifically being able to recognize cat go for it it's not quite the same but i just worked a full day and then drove the 17 hours from wisconsin to connecticut street and for those 17 hours i did ganesh mantra the whole way wow. and it was like a completely different like transitional state of being that like i am I've been here for a couple hours, but like I am stuck in it. Wow. Which is a really great place to be, I think. Um, and I like, I mean, I get up every morning and do the Guru Gita and I go to, I do, I meditate before bed like regularly and getting the chance to do this really extended practice because there was no choice in how long this drive was and getting to like really experience that for that long i'm like oh there's something to it that is different than just being a person doing a thing um that i want more of hmm. that's awesome well congratulations on that that sounds like a really awesome little sankalpa journey that you made and it's not always easy and there's plenty of room for distractions that's amazing that that was possible and then to be here right away is equally incredible 
which, and this is a great transition point to the last concept for tonight, because that's exactly what another way to interpret this doesn't have to be just when falling asleep or when waking up. But in my opinion, you can interpret uh, the space between thoughts uh, also as um, this, this in-between space. And so um, this quote here from the Spandakarikas, which is actually quoted early in the Shiva Sutras. Um, Dharma, would you like to read? Keep your sword sheathed between thoughts. Nimesha and Unmesha, take one thought, contemplate on that one thought with unwavering concentration. Then when another movement arises in your mind from that first thought, that is Spanda and that is Unmesha, you have to observe it yourself and that will be Spanda. Thank you. So we learned previously that um, as thoughts are transitioning, as your life even transitions from one moment to another, sort of like how Kat was talking about with a big space of transition, or something as little as walking from one room to another, could be that simple, um, we have this opportunity to really be in that transitional space. Um, normally, what do we usually do? You're walking from one room to the other and you might flip out your phone and just see, oh, did I any messages and you respond to? Or you might be four steps ahead of yourself already talking to the person you're going to the room for, or you're just you know running through something in your mind. There's just some limitless things. But if we were able to simply sheath this sword of the mind between thoughts, which I'm for the sake of actually trying it, saying between rooms, between rooms or between events, um, that that itself is also a, a, a place of Turiya, a place of the mind resting in its sheath of nectar and a place where we could connect. And as, uh, as I think we all trust when we stay in that connected space the room we enter into next tends to be a little bit sweeter for no reason at all you know so that's um sort of where i was going to leave us for three ways to put this into practice over the next couple of weeks we got the obvious ones sleeping and waking up which are huge and happen every single day and then we have the during your life one, which oddly happens even more so, but because life is so distracting, uh, we, we might miss the hundreds of opportunities there are to do this. Any comments or questions on that? Yogita, you might have to unmute if you're asking a question. Okay. Um, between your breaths, a hum solve. That's the first thing I thought of. Right. Absolutely. You're totally right. I agree. Or even between mantras. Dharma. I guess I have a question again. 
about dreams and about how is that more of the material from the warehouse? You know, when Babaji talks about clearing out the warehouse and how much attention to pay to that state. And it, I had a, I had a reoccurring like nightmare this last week and it was shocking. And the feeling in my, my nervous system or my body waking up from that felt like such a, there was a moment in the dream that was just a, a shift and my whole um, body became activated in, in, uh, in this sort of moment that felt like terror. And it seemed to have come from such a different place in my dream. Again, if we're talking about following thoughts, I can understand how that happens in normal dreams and in the waking state. But this experience was so abrupt it felt like it came from someplace else. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually was like about a ghost too. So I don't even know how to like relate to that experience of like, do I surrender that? Like, do I, and, and maybe this is a question for the philosophy class, but it was something that, um, that have been, that just happened recently in the past week. So it's yeah. interesting when we're talking about the dream state. Yeah, and I mean to be perfectly honest, I, I it seems in the context of this sutra that uh, for what we're describing right now, it's all the same, like a dream state, a uh, real life thing. It's like all we're for this sutra and for for this work. It feels like we're trying to simply. be conscious of the the moment things are starting to occur and sort of hold that awareness and then also keep our awareness as we as that even as that dream comes to an end but let's, it feels like all of it whether it's a dream or literally happening in your life um in this context is being treated uh, the same so it's like it's harder to reach for your mantra in a dream i think it's harder because i i don't know it just do you guys all agree with that it's it's um you know how do you do that you can't it's got to be there in a way right and so i have found and maybe some of you who have found this too that like when i really dedicate more time to a mantra in my daily life it's there in my dreams more you know, so in a sense, it's like that's where our work is. It's not actually just in the dream. It's like our work is just, you know, and in dreams like that, just like life, when life starts coming at you and it feels like a dragon, um, it's like you can only do so much in the moment, but you can do a lot in the many 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 moments afterwards all those in between moments when things aren't necessarily coming at you it's like that's where this sutra is telling us to work work in the in between moments like do your best in the moment that's great and we're going to talk more about that in the next class too because it keeps it keeps this concept going but it's also saying like look at those in between moments there are so many of them and they're actually a source of great power so you know, and just um, 
something I just thought of too is that experience it it's almost like a Kriya, you know, my experience of it. And, and maybe it was just something that had sort of happened while dreaming, but that it was something like a Kriya. Mm -hmm. That's a great example because a Kriya really represents something that you just don't have control over an involuntary action or an involuntary thought that springs up. I mean, so that even more so just as again, it's like our work isn't to like, fix this thing necessarily in the moment, of course, do your best, but like if you're, it's like, even when you have a physical Kriya, it's like, you just got to let the thing go. And then like, you got to come back to your practice. Yeah, I, I think the only way I can ever, yeah, Dayan, the only way I can go after something that big and that involuntary is in between, <laughs> is the, the rest of that day in the next day. But go ahead, Dayan. Well, I was just wondering, like you're giving this example of walking from a, one room into another. And I'm assuming that when you've been working on this, that maybe you've been like playing with that a little bit. I'm just wondering, um, I also actually really like this Spandakarika, and I think that would be a fun thing to try as a practice, but I'm wondering how you practiced when you're walking from one room into another. Is there something that you yeah. um, kind of worked with? Great question, and I'm so glad you asked it, especially here as we're ending class, because it's like the most practical question, I think, and it's really important. Um, something that we're going to look at in the next sutra that um, will be sort of the fulcrum uh, of the work with the next sutra sort of relates here. And it talks about this thoughtless state, being able to direct your mind towards a thoughtless state with, with focus, though. And so um, when I'm going from room to room or from ashram to the barn or whatever it might be, I... I try to just be, I try to actually be like thoughtless. Like I try to imagine my head is empty and, um, and just, and it feels like light, you know? And uh, of course it's like a vacuum pulling something in, but that's our practice. So it's like, I literally, when I leave the Nimesha means something's coming to a close. And then I try to just be as empty headed as I possibly can. And then naturally you arrive at the barn or you arrive at the room and it starts to open on its own. Um, and I just see it as my only job. It, literally, I walk from the shrine over to our room, which is like 65, 80 feet. And I just like, I'm just like, you know, here we go. I just try to almost imagine like I don't have a inside of my head. Thanks. I like that. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Bob, you had a closing remark. Yeah, I, I was mentioning one time, I think it was in this class about how when I'm driving uh, and mm -hmm. listening to the ohm sound, I'll go from phone pole to phone pole and just try to keep my mind just listening. If you're listening, your mind can't be talking. So if you can just listen to the ohm sound as you're 
going from one yeah. thing to the next. Um, and realizing that this this in-between space is not empty, it's literally, it's a sheath of Turiya. It's, yes, it's very peaceful. Yeah. So like when Bob says listening, it's almost like there's a lot there. You know, we're just usually filling it with the superficial chatter. And so we stay at the surface, you know, but if we just let ourselves sink in, which this is an individual journey. I, you know, I have to literally commit to it every time I leave the room to do it or else it's in every single time there's something to think about, you know, for that 80 feet or 200 feet. Okay, cool. Well, we'll pause there and um, I leave you with those three ideas. Um, stay, uh, the Marco Polo thing's been sort of quiet, so I'm not really, I'm like, all right, that is what it is. It's all good. But maybe next time we uh, hang out together in two weeks, um, there might be a few remarks about those three concepts. I would love to hear it went. I'm going to be trying it. I feel like there's the light pole to light pole is like, it's like we got a light pole two weeks from now and it's like what can we do between these two light poles it's gonna change something thanks for your focus and awareness good luck cat hang in there we're all sending you good vibes and have a great couple weeks everybody and next week of course there'll be a presentation see you then too Jai Jai